0: This morning we're finishing Matthew chapter 9 and then we'll pick up Matthew chapter 10 following our missions conference in the new year. Matthew chapter 8 and 9, as you will recall, uh, was broken into three different sections. And each section had a, 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 a series of three miracles of Christ and then a teaching of Christ. And so here we are now at the very end of that third section Looking at here, this final teaching of Jesus following these miracles that we've been reading about. And verse 35 uh, serves as a summary of chapters 8 and 9. And then uh, verse 36 through 38 serves as a conclusion that really sets up the next section of uh, Matthew's gospel. And so beginning here in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, it says this. And Jesus went out throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. I pray, Lord, that as we spend time in it, Lord, that it would be that lamp unto our feet, that light unto our path. Lord, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. Lord, you are the one who has laid down his life for us, your sheep. And Lord, we know that your heart is for those who not only are a part of your family, but Lord, for those who have not yet met you and and know you. Lord, I pray that and as we spend time looking at your heart this morning, Lord, just as you were moved with compassion, Lord, that you would likewise move us, that you would move and touch our hearts this morning. God, I thank you for every person that is here today. Lord, I know that your heart is towards them. Lord, that you care for them as a good shepherd cares for his sheep. Lord, I pray that we would all feel and experience and 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 uh, know your love and your care for us this morning as we spend time in your word. In Christ's name we pray, everybody says, amen. amen. So there's only four verses here that we're looking at this morning, but even though there's only four, there's quite a lot going on here. As I said, the first verse really serves as a summary of what we've been looking at these last several weeks, that Jesus was going around teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That's the good news of the reign of God. God reigns. The Lord reigns. We sang that this morning. Christ is the Lord. It's, it's all throughout the, the Christmas songs, the Christmas hymns that we sing at this time of year. And even as we go around to the various stores and places we go, We even hear these songs played over the loudspeakers. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Christ is going around preaching, proclaiming this good news. That that though there have been many evil and wicked kings and, and men who would set themselves up as ultimate authority, these tyrants... We even saw that at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. King Herod, who tried to kill Jesus as a young boy, as a baby, trying to protect his power, trying to protect his throne, trying to eliminate any threat to his power and to his throne. And, and though humans, uh, humanity has been governed oftentimes by these evil, wicked people, these tyrants, there is a king above all kings. There's a Lord above all lords. And that is good news. This, this news of the reign of the kingdom of God, it is good news. It is the gospel. And so Jesus went about preaching this message, proclaiming this message, and also healing every disease and every affliction. And we've read these stories. We've, we've had our hearts touched and encouraged as we've walked through and seen these nine different healing miracles that Jesus Has performed. And so this first verse really summarizes everything we've seen to this point. But then here in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, something new is introduced, something new is is emphasized, something new is, is brought forward. And it says here that when Jesus saw the crowds, the multitudes, he had compassion or he was moved with compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus has been busy with ministry. We've seen that. He's teaching, he's preaching, he's he's healing, he's going from town to town. But in the midst of all of this busyness, in the midst of all of this activity, in the the midst of all of the chaotic going and coming and healing and preaching, he sees something and it, it moves him. It touches his heart. And what is it that he sees in that moment? What is it that that moves him? It says he saw the crowds. He saw the multitudes. He he saw the people who were coming to him, who who were looking to him. And it says that they were like sheep without a shepherd. This is what moved him. This is what touched him. This is what, if you want to use our our modern language, this is what gripped his heart. This is what broke his heart was when he saw these multitudes like sheep without a shepherd. Now, the Bible uses this picture often when describing God's care for his people, that of a shepherd with his sheep. In fact, the most famous chapter in the whole Bible is Psalm chapter 23, and it's all about that, isn't it? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he goes through and he walks through, the psalmist David walks through the the tender care that a shepherd has for his sheep and and how the shepherd leads the sheep to clear pastures and and good places where they can be fed and and how the shepherd protects and watches and cares for the sheep. And, And likewise, God is like that for Us, his people. Written by David, who himself was a shepherd. And it's interesting to me that Israel's two greatest leaders, far and away, Israel's two greatest leaders in the Old Testament are Moses and David. Moses and David. And I don't think it's a coincidence that both Moses and David were shepherds by trade well before God called them to lead his people. Jesus himself in John chapter 10 identifies himself as the good shepherd. Jesus himself saying that he is the fulfillment of all of this language of the whole shepherd motif that had been picked up all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Covenant. Why don't we flip over there quickly to John chapter 10 and, and hear what Jesus says about himself as the good shepherd? Looking here in verse 11, John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. This here is a summary of the gospel message that Christ laid down his life for us, his sheep. He laid his life down for us. He went to the cross willingly, taking our sin, our burden upon him, taking responsibility for our sin, laying his life down to purchase us, to ransom us back to God. The cross, the shedding of his blood, the laying down of his life. He is the good shepherd who has laid down his life for us, his sheep. He goes on to say in verse 12 that he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice so that there will be one flock. Jesus here says he has other sheep that are not of this fold. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about us, the Gentiles. He was speaking to the Jewish people who were God's flock, But he's saying there there are other sheep that are outside of the, the natural descendants of Abraham and he's going to bring them in. We are his sheep and he will lay down his life for us and he will bring us in to one flock, one fold. That is the church. And that we will have one shepherd and that is Christ for this reason, he says, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Speaking of the resurrection, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord, and I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Here, Jesus picks up on all of these themes of of God's people being like his sheep that he looks out for, that he cares for. And Jesus comes and he says, I am identifying himself with the the covenant name that God gave to his people of who he was, that, that revelation of Yahweh, I am. But he goes on to say, I am the good shepherd. I am the fulfillment of this whole theme. And I will lay down my life for the sheep and not only are my sheep of, from the fold of the Jewish people, they're also from all the nations of the world. And I will bring them in and I will make them my people and they will be part of my flock, the church. Now, in Jesus' day, this theme of shepherds and sheep, this was a common theme because there were shepherds everywhere. But we don't see that in our day and age, do we? When's the last time you saw a shepherd walking down Callahan with his sheep? It's not a common sight. We don't see it often. We only really see it, I mean, at Christmas time. Maybe there's a nativity out somewhere. But this was a very common picture in Jesus' day, very common language. When Jesus used this language, all of these things would fire off in their mind, all of these connections, all of these ideas, all of these pictures. But that doesn't really happen for us. We don't really think about the implications of this language because we don't see this happening in our everyday life. It's like we've talked about before with the word kingdom. We don't think about the implications of that word because we don't live in a kingdom. We don't know what it's like. It sort of goes in one ear and out the other. And likewise with kingdom, so it is with shepherds and sheep. And so to really get at the heart of what touched Jesus in this moment, back in Matthew chapter 9, where he sees the people and he's moved, and he's moved because they're like sheep without a shepherd, we really need to think and consider some things about sheep and shepherds. There's a couple things I want to draw your attention to about sheep. The first is that a sheep is a helpless animal. A sheep is a helpless animal. It's not like a lion. It's not like a wolf. It's not like a dog. It's not even like a cat. A sheep is a helpless animal. that has no way of defending itself. It has no sharp claws. It has no powerful jaw with sharp teeth. It has no large mass. It's not like a hippopotamus, you know, that can throw its weight around. A sheep is totally defenseless. It really has no mechanism of defending itself against an attacker, against a predator. A sheep also doesn't have a whole lot of intelligence. They're they're not very smart animals. Thanks a lot, Jesus. (laughs) Unfortunately, the shoe fits. Sheep tend to just follow the herd. Whichever way the majority of the people are going we we just we don't like to stand out from the crowd as people do we no we do not we we had that portrayed for us in vivid detail through the events in the course of the last few years in our culture people just going along to get along we don't want to make a big stink Whatever I gotta do to just go about my life will just go about my life. They tend to follow the herd, have a a herd mentality, not exercise a lot of critical or independent thinking. That's nothing that a sheep will ever be uh, really known for or that you'll catch a sheep doing out in the field contemplating and meditating on why are they all following this you know they just kind of go along with the herd so they're helpless they're stupid but they're also very valuable incredibly valuable a sheep has many different ways that they were of great value to uh, the the, the people of that time that is why they would cultivate they would multiply their herds and they would try to to grow their herds as large as they could not because it was some fun pastime for them, no because sheep were very valuable you could use their wool that they produced every season you would you would shear your sheep, you would sell the wool, you could sell the pelt, you could use that and it would be used to make clothing. Their milk was a valuable source of nutrition in that day, and also their meat as well. And so yes, sheep were helpless, and yes, sheep were not so smart, but they were also very valuable. And so for the value of the sheep to be cultivated, they needed someone to protect them and to provide for them. Because of their helpless state, because of their lack of intelligence, and because of their great value, shepherds would take care of, protect, and provide for the sheep. And the shepherd would take, as Jesus says in John 10, the shepherd would lay down his life for the sheep. He would take responsibility for their well-being, for the sheep that were his, the sheep that were in his care. The hired hands, not so much. But the shepherd looked out carefully for the life of his sheep. Now, as Jesus is speaking here, the multitudes that we see in John chapter nine, or Matthew chapter nine, rather, these are the Jewish people. The, the, the Jewish people who were a part of the old covenant. And they had the Pharisees, they had the scribes, But they did not have shepherds. They did not have those who were taking responsibility for their well-being. And a shepherd does this in three ways. He does this by feeding them. In that day, leading them to good pasture where, where they could be fed, where they could be nourished. That's the first way the shepherd takes care of the sheep. The second way is that he would protect them by keeping the wolves away. The the predators who would want to come in and and to attack the flock and to to drive them, to scatter them. The, The shepherd, when the wolf came, the shepherd would stand between the wolf and the sheep. And he would be that line of defense for this helpless creature. That's the second way. The first, by feeding them the second by protecting them, and then the third is that he would restore a sick sheep to health. If they were ill, if they had a fever, if they had become injured in some way or suffered from some sort of infection, the shepherd would nurse them back to health, would restore them to health. And so in these three ways, in the feeding, in the protecting, And in the restoring back to health, a good shepherd would lay down his life, would sacrifice for the sake of his flock. And so back here, when Jesus sees the multitudes, he sees all of these people, these Jewish believers, part of the old covenant, but he sees they have no one to care for their souls. Yes, they had the scribes and the Pharisees, But as we've learned, the scribes and the Pharisees were not shepherds. They did not care for the souls of the people. They were not looking out for them and for their well-being. They cared about themselves. They were like those hired hands. And so these people in Jesus' day, these multitudes, they were not being fed the word of God. That's what we live on. That's what we feed on. That's what our soul is nourished by the word of God. They were not being protected. Instead, they were being used and abused by their leadership. We read about that, that the Pharisees would would use the people to enrich themselves, not serving them as shepherds. And then that third way, they wouldn't restore them back to spiritual health when they were sick, when they were ill. We only need to look back a few verses. Remember when Jesus called Matthew the tax collector and he went to his house that day and and all of the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus and it was this great, wonderful moment where now these these people who had been separated from God by their sin, now God is calling them to himself and, and he's sharing with them his life. He's sharing with them his word. It's this beautiful moment where the sick, the spiritually sick are being healed. And the Pharisees look at that and they don't celebrate. In fact, they despise Jesus for this and they say, why does your teacher to the disciples, they ask this question, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And do you remember what Jesus told them? He said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick and he says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so they, they were not, the people who were, who were trapped in sin, they, they were not being reached out to and brought in and being brought back to spiritual health. So Jesus sees this condition of his people and it's moved him in his heart. He's moved, he has compassion upon them. And so what does he do? You know, it's not enough just to see it and walk away. If, if you see something and you don't do something, it means you weren't really moved. It means you weren't really touched. But Jesus was deeply touched. Jesus was deeply moved. And so what does he do? Well, here in the immediate context, first he tells his people, his disciples, He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest field. The first thing he does in the immediate context is he teaches his disciples to pray. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. The second thing he does, we've, we've talked about it here briefly, but in the larger context, he goes and he lays down his life for his sheep so that he can redeem them back to himself. And having laid down his life and paid for their sins, he establishes his church. And in his church he establishes that there should be elders, pastors, who would look out for and shepherd his people. So that anyone and everyone can be brought into his flock and no longer being a lost sheep who is helpless and who is harassed by the devil. And so he establishes his church and he teaches his disciples how to care for his people that he purchased with his own blood. And he teaches his disciples how to be shepherds who care for and, and look after his people, his flock. And so I want to look at just a few passages this morning that, that talk about this. Let's look over at John chapter 21 here this morning. John chapter 21, a very famous story here. After Jesus dies and, and raises from the dead he comes and he meets with Peter. Peter, we know, had famously denied Christ, denied knowing Christ, denied being associated with him. And so Jesus, after he raises from the dead, he comes and he meets with the disciples and Peter to restore Peter back to health. You see, Peter here in this story is a sick sheep. And Christ, the good shepherd, comes to bring healing to his soul. And so we know the story. It's a very famous story. But let's look at it here. John chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You'll recall that when Jesus told Peter before that he was going to betray him, Peter said, I'll never betray you. Even if I have to die for you, I will never deny you. And then Peter said, even if all of these fall away, pointing at all the other disciples, I will never deny you. Which is, I mean, famous last words, Peter. He ends up eating those words just a few hours later. And so here Jesus comes and he has a question for Peter. Peter, do you love me more than these? He had famously said, I love you more than all of these guys love you. They're all, even if they all fall away because of my love for you, I will never. And so now the question that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these? He says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend, that word literally means there, shepherd, pastor, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Here we see that Jesus is is teaching Peter how he is to care for for Jesus' people, his people, that he's restoring Peter to this office, this position of a shepherd. And he's saying, this is how I want you to take care of my people, Peter. I want you to feed them. I want you to feed them. I want you to shepherd them. To feed the sheep, here Jesus links the role of the shepherd with feeding feeding This is what God's shepherds this is what pastors are called to do. We are called to feed you the word of God. This is the primary responsibility for the shepherd is to feed God's sheep. You notice here that Jesus does not say feed your sheep because the sheep don't belong to Peter. The sheep belong to Christ. In every church, the people do not belong to the pastor. The people belong to Christ. And so the pastor's job, the shepherd's job, is not to feed you our words, but to feed you God's word. This is the primary job of a natural shepherd, his, his day in, day out duties, the majority of the time he spends is leading his sheep to good pasture, leading his sheep to a place where they can be nourished and fed. And likewise, for a spiritual shepherd, for a pastor, his main duty is to labor in the word of God and in prayer. This is what we see the apostles doing in the book of Acts where they give themselves to the preaching and the teaching of the word of God and to prayer so that you can be well fed. Because your spiritual life, hear this, your spiritual life, your spiritual health rests upon your spiritual diet, just like your natural diet. If you just eat Mickey D's, I don't have anything personally against Mickey D's, but If you just eat Mickey D's 24-7, well, we know what happens. They made a documentary about it. Supersize me, all right? You need a healthy, natural diet. I'm not going to dwell too much on that because it's the holidays and we live in San Antonio with tamales and tortillas and enchiladas and I thank God for all of, tres leches and all of those things, praise God. But, which I hope we have a lot of tonight, but <laughs> in the course of your life, you need a healthy diet or you will be sick. Likewise, we need a spiritually healthy diet of the Word of God or we will be sick. And we live in a day and age in which we are inundated with, with an alternate Word 24 7. It's not like it was in Jesus' day where you could go your whole life and never hear a different philosophy or ideology, hardly ever. But we are confronted with and presented with an anti-word, an anti-Christ word every day in news, in media, in entertainment. It is constant. It is pervasive. All the more we need the word of God in our soul. We need to be feasting on the word. So Jesus tells Peter, this is how I want you to care for my sheep. I want you to feed them my word. If you turn over to First Peter, Peter writes a, a letter towards the end of his life after he himself has been a pastor, a shepherd for many years in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter knowing that his, his life is coming to an end, he, he writes and he exhorts the elders of a church. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. So to the elders, I exhort you. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God That is among you. Care for God's people, he says. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. Do this with joy, he says, as God would have you, not for shameful gain. Listen, the job of the pastor is not to become wealthy. The job of the pastor is not to fleece the flock. That that means to to extract from them every last ounce of, of money that he can so that he can line his own pockets and enrich himself. If a pastor is doing that, he is not a shepherd, he is a wolf. He is not someone who should be entrusted with the care of the sheep, but rather he's someone the sheep need to be guarded from. So not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge. So not beating people up, not bossing them all around, not, not being this tyrant so that you come into God's house, you come into the church, you come into his flock and the pastor is just another tyrant like you have out there. No, he should be like a shepherd, not domineering over people, not constantly exercising authority in your life over every little tiny thing. Don't dominate the people in your charge, but he says, be an example to the flock. So so live out your life in such a way that other people can follow. In verse four, he says, when the chief shepherd appears, that's when Christ returns, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, submit yourself to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here here Peter mentions again that there is a chief shepherd. That all of us under shepherds, all of us pastors and elders, we are accountable to. And he's going to return one day. And he's going to demand an account from the shepherds on how we cared for you, his sheep. And so, as a shepherd, I am to be much more concerned about what my boss thinks than what you think. Because I will answer to him for how I cared for you. And so, we as shepherds, we as elders, at times... We'll, we'll do things, we'll say things in our ministry of trying to give you a healthy diet from the word of God that you might not like from time to time because it is healthy. How, how many of you have found out that most of the stuff that is healthy doesn't taste good? There's like one thing that's healthy that tastes good. An apple, maybe an orange and a banana. The majority of the other stuff, like I still got to hold my nose and choke it down if you don't put enough bacon in the green beans (laughs) and enough butter in the lima beans, right? I mean, the, the healthy stuff, it doesn't taste good. It doesn't go down easy. But there is a whole host of quote unquote shepherds today that'll just tell you what you want to hear. And it sounds good. And it's easy. And it's sweet. And it's nice. And they say it with a smile. But it has no nourishment for your soul. It's like cotton candy. By the time you hit the parking lot, it's gone. The healthy stuff, it doesn't go down easy. It's like good medicine for our soul. And we as the shepherds of this flock, we the elders of this flock, care much, much, much more about the sheep God has entrusted to us and that you would receive his word and be nourished by his word Then we care about trying to blow up some big mega something just by telling people what they want to hear and having a bunch of sick sheep. Paul in Acts 20, flip over one last passage, Acts 20. Paul uses also this language of a shepherd with his sheep. Acts 20, he's... Giving a final charge to the elders who were at the church in Ephesus. He knows that he will never see them again. He knows he's heading to Jerusalem where he will be uh, imprisoned, persecuted, possibly martyred. And so he gives this final charge to the elders, the shepherds of this flock in Ephesus. The whole passage is is instructional to us, but let's look here specifically at a few verses starting in verse 28. Well, let's look at verse 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And so Paul here is holding up himself as an example for how they are to then go and shepherd the flock in their care. And they're to do it by feeding them with the word of God. Not just all the nice parts that make us feel good, but he says, I declare to you the whole counsel of God. That's the law and the gospel. Verse 28, he says then, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock with which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone. With tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. Here we see that the, the essential ministry of the shepherd is to, to look out for, to care for the sheep and their spiritual diet, declaring to them the word of God, being alert for those wolves who would come in teaching twisted things. This is the role of the pastor, the role of the elder, of the shepherd. Our job is to tend to you, to care for your souls, to guide you in and to feed you with the word of God, to apply the word of God to your life and to your situation. This is, by the way, the the reason that we started having Sunday evening service a few years ago. Not because I was wanting to preach more or I needed something extra to do or because I don't like football, so I might as well do something with my Sunday evenings. No, in fact, we as elders, as we surveyed the cultural landscape, we realized that you need more of the word of God in your diet Because there is a demonic tidal wave of deception sweeping our culture, sweeping even God's people, the sheep, the elect away in this tidal wave of secularism, consumerism, humanism, Marxism, liberalism, false gender ideology. God's people are being swept away. And we want something better for you and for your family. You see, all of these things are being rammed down your throat 24-7. At work, in the movies, on TV, at the checkout line in the grocery store, at the mall, at, uh, at school, it's oppressive. And so we need, as God's people, to spend more time in his presence, not less. This is the admonishment that the writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together all the more as you see the day approaching. We need to spend more time in God's word, not less. We need to spend more time in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, praying together, encouraging one another, not less. So this is why a few years ago we started Sunday evening service. This is why we do KBI, because you need more of God's word in your diet. So we have Sunday night church, we have KBI, we have community groups, we have celebrate recovery with with those who are struggling in acute ways to bring to you the word of God. And all of these things, these are sacrifices, not sacrifices that you make to attend. But these are sacrifices that we as the leadership make to serve you more of the word of God. We don't have to do those things. And in fact, most churches today are not doing those things. And we prepare them for you so that all you have to do is come and eat. Come and feast. We do all of the hard work. We do all of the time. We put in all of the effort. We put in all of the study. We, we pour over the text, over the Word of God to prepare for you a meal that will nourish your soul. It's not some sort of ego thing for me and the elders, it's a shepherd thing because we care for your souls. Because we don't want you to be like sheep without a shepherd, helpless and defenseless and harassed by the devil. We care for you. We care for your children. We care for your grandchildren. We want to see your children walk with the Lord. What what do you think is going to help them do that? Watching more TV or spending more time in God's house? We want your children to marry a godly spouse. Well, where are they going to meet them? (laughs) Where? We want your children to raise godly children and grandchildren. How are they going to learn to do that? This is what we want to see, what we desperately want to see for you and for your family. Why am I saying all this? Well, because Christ, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd, people who were not being fed the word of God. And so he instituted his church, he appointed elders and shepherds. And though I would never consider myself or compare myself to Christ in a much lesser way as an under-shepherd, I feel the same burden that people would be well-fed with the word of God. Something else we see in these passages, both Peter and Paul mention it, but pastors, hear this, pastors are sheep too. We are still sheep. We are still sheep. Not a week goes by that I am not absolutely confronted with my limitations as a finite human being in my capacity as a shepherd. And so our goal as pastors is not to connect you to us, but to connect you to Christ, to to lead you into a relationship with Christ through his word, filled with his spirit, the chief shepherd, because his phone is always on 24-7. He's always with us. So the question for us here then today as we ponder this passage is, do we see what Jesus saw? When we look out, do we see what Jesus saw? We live in San Antonio, a a very populated, densely populated city. Do we not see a city? Do we not see a people who are harassed by the devil? Do we not see a people who are helpless, unable to withstand the attacks of the enemy? And when we see that, does that not move our hearts? Are we unmoved by the multitudes, by the seas of people that we pass and see every single day? Are we unmoved by the plight of these lost souls? As we look at them day in and day out, maybe they believe in Christ, maybe they don't, I don't know. But many of them, if not most of them, are sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus wants everyone, all of his sheep to be brought into a flock where they can be cared for by a good shepherd. He wants his sheep to be well fed and to be protected. So a question that you could even ask some of your family who profess faith in Christ but are not walking with the Lord, you can ask them this question, who is your shepherd? Who is looking out for you? Who is guarding you against false teaching? Who is feeding you the word of God? And maybe in this way, you could spur them on to getting planted in a place where they can find a shepherd, someone to feed them and to guard them. And so Jesus tells them, this is what we gotta do, guys. We need to pray. We need to pray. And he doesn't tell them just to pray any old little prayers No, he tells them to pray what? Pray earnestly, pray fervently. So the question again for us, are we praying for laborers to go out into God's harvest field? The harvest is plentiful. Everywhere we go, we see it, amen? I was at the mall last night. Bad idea. I think all of San Antonio was there. I didn't see you, but I saw everybody else. Not a single parking place. The multitudes... Are we praying that God would send out laborers? The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Listen, if we say we follow Christ, it means that we follow him, which means we follow his teaching. And here is something that he taught his people to do, to pray for harvesters to go out into the harvest field. And so if we are not praying in this way for God to raise up, to train, to send out laborers, then we are not obeying the Lord. And so we must begin to pray and to pray earnestly, God, raise up new missionaries. God, raise up new pastors. God, raise up new evangelists who will go in and who will will go out and who will work and proclaim your gospel and bring in the lost sheep. We need to pray this way. We need to pray earnestly this way. And there's a certain level of genius in what Jesus to tell, tells us to pray for. You notice that Jesus doesn't say pray for the lost souls to be saved. Though it, no, no doubt that's a good thing to pray for. But Jesus specifically tells us to pray for laborers to be sent out. This is a much different kind of prayer than praying God save lost souls. The implication of this passage is that there are multitudes waiting to be harvested, waiting to be brought into the kingdom, but that what is lacking is not a harvest, but laborers to go out and to bring it in. And there is a certain truth, and herein lies the genius of Jesus. There is a certain truth to the fact that if you begin to pray this way, God, send out laborers, send out people who will bring in the harvest. If you begin to pray pray this way it begins to train your mind to think and to feel the same things that Jesus think and felt and if you pray this way truthfully and, and genuinely and fervently as Jesus taught us to pray and pray it in a way that pierces heaven and touches the heart of God if you get, begin to pray that way eventually what will follow is another prayer and it's the same prayer that Isaiah prayed Here am I, send me. You see, it's impossible for us to look upon the harvest and to be moved by the multitudes and to begin to pray that God would send out laborers, that then we too would be touched in our own heart to share the gospel where we are, to look for opportunities, not to beat it down people's throats, but for those that are, are lost and need a shepherd who are looking, who are hurting, who are needy, who, who, who are ready to receive the hope that Christ brings. But the truth is we go through life and we just go about our business doing what we think needs to be done. But if we will begin to pray, Lord, send out laborers, it won't be long before we begin to pray, here am I, send me. Now next month, In just a few days, we have a group of laborers who are coming to join us at our missions conference. And I want you to understand that they are an answer to prayer. That there are those who prayed that God would send out laborers and he sent them out. And it's a great joy that we get to receive them for this week of ministry and and pour into them and love them and give towards them and, and feed them and pray for them and encourage them and send them back out to the work Christ is doing through them. They are an answer to prayer. We also have a group of laborers who go out the day after Christmas with Roland and Carolyn as they go down to Reynosa to build homes for the homeless, there's a whole group of our, our church people who are going with them. They are in an answer to prayer. Laborers going out into the harvest field. Amen. And I don't know if you know this, but we have a group that goes out once a month on the first Saturday of the month to go and to share the gospel around town here in San Antonio. Led by Justin Clark, this group of people who go out to witness and to evangelize and to share the hope of Christ they are an answer to prayer. Everywhere you see a laborer going out into the harvest, you see an answer to prayer. And may we in our generation be faithful to pray this prayer that God would raise up, train, equip, and send out laborers into his harvest field. There is a great harvest to be won for Christ. The multitudes are all around us. Let us see what Jesus saw. There's a sense in which he was so busy with all of his ministry and then he saw. May God give us eyes to see what he saw on that day. And may we likewise be moved as Jesus was moved. And may we pray and pray fervently and earnestly. And faithfully, as Jesus told us to pray, Lord, send out laborers. And may God so touch our heart that we might pray like Isaiah prayed, here am I, send me. Let's stand this morning. Invite our ushers to come, prepare to serve us, the Lord's Supper, this morning. And as we do, we remember that we are one of Jesus' sheep. Amen? Amen? We're part of His fold. We're part of His fold because He died. The Good Shepherd laid down His life to redeem us. And that He nourishes us and that He feeds us and that He cares for us and He guides us. Though every pastor that we have will, is, not, is not fully adequate, we're all human he is the good shepherd. He is the ultimate shepherd. He is the one who never fails us, who is always with us. And so as we come this morning, we come reminding ourselves of the good shepherd laying down his life for his sheep. That though his body was broken, his blood was spilled, he did it willingly to pay the price for our sin, our sin, the breaking of God's good and holy law and to welcome us. He didn't come to call the righteous but sinners. And so he came to call us. Oh, what good and glorious news that God calls sinners to himself. God is calling you to himself this morning. Maybe you're outside of his flock. You've never put your faith in Christ. You've never trusted upon him for salvation. There's nothing you'd need do to earn salvation. Our our works, our goodness, it's all as filthy rags before him. To receive salvation from Christ, we simply look to him in faith and receive the work that he did for us. All of us who are coming forward this morning are imperfect, have fallen woefully short, so if you're in here this morning and you're looking around, you say, I can never be one of these people. Trust me, you are one of these people. We're all in this same boat. The only difference, friend, bef- between those who trust in Christ and don't are those who would simply acknowledge we, we have no hope outside of ourselves. And so we look to Christ as our only hope. We have, we have been humbled by our total inadequacy and we are sustained by his all sufficient grace so I encourage you this morning if you've never trusted in Christ the Bible says today is the day of salvation look to Christ today trust in Christ call upon him ask him to save your soul repent of your sins and he will receive you into his flock this morning Father, we thank you for your word. It is that food that nourishes our soul. As we come to the table this morning, God, we come to remind ourselves of the work that you accomplished for us. And we thank you this morning that you are our good shepherd. It's in your name we pray.